Hi, this is Wayne Randazzo of the WCBS Mets Radio Network, and you're listening to Baseball and BBQ. Hi, this is Gary Mack of the Mets Musings Podcast, and you're listening to Jeff and Len on Baseball and Barbecue, one of my favorite podcasts, and I know it's one of yours, too. The only problem is, after I get done listening to it, I'm hungry. All right, guys, take it away. Welcome to episode number 66 of Baseball and Barbecue. I am Leonard Aberman, my incredible co-host, Jeff Cohen. If we sound rushed, it's not that we're rushed, but we want to get right to the meat of the matter. Barbecue terms, meat of the matter. Jeff, give our contact information. Absolutely. So if you want to participate in the show, give us a call at 516-855-8214. Email us, baseballandbbq at gmail.com. Our Twitter address is at BaseballMBBQ. Our YouTube address is at BaseballMBBQ. Facebook is at BaseballMBBQ. Our website is www.baseballandbbq.weebly.com. And our Instagram is BaseballMBBQ, where barbecues all spelled out. We love to hear from our listeners. We appreciate all your comments, all your suggestions. Thank you, everyone. Tonight, we've got two great interviews. One is with Ed Randolph. One is with Michael Stahl. Ed Randolph, author, barbecue expert. Michael Stahl wrote a book on Big Sexy. We're going to get to that. But first, Jeff, please give a shout out to none other than you know who. Give him, give him his props. Gary Mack. He has been such a friend to the show. Give us all types of advice. We really couldn't really put this together without him. And we really appreciate all he has done for us. So thank you, Gary. Mets Musings and the Baseball Radio Talk Show. Right. Okay. We want to make sure we get him as many listeners as possible. He should be an everyday host on like talk radio or something, but that's another story for another day. Right. All right. <laughs> Baseball, bbq.com. We've said it before. They have an incredible website with grilling tools and accessories, some clothing. If you haven't checked out baseballbbq.com, Please give them, you know, a look. I think you're really going to like their products. With that, here's our interview with Ed Randolph. Our guest is an accomplished, award-winning pitmaster. He's written the wonderful book, Smoked, One Man's Journey to Find Incredible Recipes, Standout Pitmasters, and the Stories Behind Them. And now he's followed that up with his newest book, Show-Stopping Barbecue with Your Traeger Grill, Standout Recipes for Your Wood Pellet Cooker, from an award-winning pitmaster. He's the founder, owner, and pitmaster of Handsome Devil Barbecue, which won the Food Network's 2017 New York Wine and Food Festival for Best Barbecue. He was also the winner on the Food Network show Chopped, a perfect example of turning a love and talent into a career. He is in the process of opening a barbecue restaurant. We are extremely excited to welcome none other than Ed Randolph to Baseball and Barbecue. Welcome, Ed. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Leonard, I think I need to have you write all my press releases. That was pretty <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? It's funny because, and I don't know that they're going to air at the same time, the interviews, because we try to have barbecue and baseball on each one. We just interviewed, you say, write all your press releases. So yep. I know somebody that's going to be upset if I do that, 
because we were just on with Sean Ludwig. Oh, okay. who, who wrote the forward to yes. the book. And, and I told him that. I said, we're going to have Ed on. <laughs> and it's funny, the tiny in the baseball at the barbecue on uh, this past week, my friend Danny Beck from uh, Chicago told me that uh, he has a good friend who bought a Traeger and he's, he's had a tough time using it. So he asked if I could send out a copy of the book. And he's like, the guy, he's a former Major League pit, Baseball uh, pitcher. He's like, his name, name's Brett Saberhagen. I was like, oh, like, I was like, Brett, that was one of the, you know, the, the game seven of the 85 World Series as a kid. That was that was a dominant pitching performance. I mean, that was great. He was great. I was like, we can definitely get him a copy of FedEx out to him. Yeah. Only, wait, wait a minute. There is a caveat there. or He has to agree to be on baseball and barbecue. That's- <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> wow. You, you know, you hear a lot about these players. Howard Johnson, former Mets player, is also a, supposedly a very big barbecue guy. And of course, you have uh, Jeff and I went to Philadelphia. Greg Lazinski. Uh, right. He has Bulls barbecue there. Yep. Boo Powell. Yeah. Right. Former pirate Manny Sanguin has a restaurant, a barbecue restaurant in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. Yeah. So these, these, some of these former players, they really, they're, they're really into it. All right, Jeff, I'm going to, I always start, I ask all the questions. So I'm going to let you begin, please. Thank you very much, Leonard. So, Ed, <laughs> you mentioned the Traeger, and yes. your new book is basically about, about Traeger, how to use it, uh, the recipes. Tell us about the Tra- Traeger grill. It's a fairly new barbecue grill on the market, coming on, what, the last 10 years or so? It is. Uh, pellet smokers and barbecue grills have been around for a while, but really I've found their niche, and I think the with the kind of popularity of barbecue – People want to be able to make barbecue. Not everybody wants to or can afford to have a Lang or an offset smoker or something there or want to sit there and, and tend to fire for 10 to 12 hours. So to have something that is you know, durable and flexible enough to, to you know, pretty much set it and forget it, right? That old commercial you used to see back then, you, you put on it, uh, set your temperature, and you can pretty much walk away from it. And knowing that the machine will automate the, the amount of smoke it needs, the amount of pellets it needs, the amount of fire it needs, and they're very versatile machines because you can do everything from you know, cold smoke on the thing barbecue, you can grill, and you can even turn it high and run it as an oven, even a pizza oven. I mean, they can go up to 500 degrees, no problem. As the introduction of your book, you, you give a little explanation between the difference between barbecuing and grilling. A lot of people don't know the difference. I know when I go out and barbecue, it's really on a grill. I do have a smoker. I use that in conjunction with, the, with my Weber, which I have. Tell us what's the difference between barbecuing and, and grilling. For me, the, the difference between a barbecue and a grilling really is the type of fuel source I'm going to use. So it's going to be a you normally a wood fire, and it's typically a cook that's going to be a low and slow type of cook. You know, something that you don't want to exceed 250, 275 degrees, and will take you some time. You know, for me, grilling is firing up either my Primo, the green egg, getting some lump going, and you're going to throw a couple steaks on it and burgers or something like that, and, and, and be able to have a meal that's done within 30 minutes. So it, it, I mean, everybody has a kind of a fine line of what they conceive and what they kind of define barbecue and grilling as. For me, I like to say during the day, I, I do barbecuing and at home at night, I'll do some grilling. I mean, because the kids aren't going to want to wait seven hours for you know some ribs to come off. Right. The book is, of course, it mentions the Traeger. We'll talk about the recipes. First of all, I want to make every single recipe in the book. <laughs> You've got the appetizers, the main meals, the desserts. I mean, it's incredible. How did Traeger get in touch with you specifically to have them write a cookbook? I have to actually give the credit to my publisher. Um, the folks at Page Street Publishing reached out to me after we did the smoke book 
the smoke book was always really a passion and desire of mine. I've, I've always jumped up doing a book that's kind of a travel book, kind of a cookbook, because all of us barbecue guys have a story to tell. Now, whether you are Billy Durney, who was, you know, a security guard for the Olsen twins, to, you know, Burt Bachman, who's a real estate agent in Los Angeles, to Sam Jones, who's been a barbecue guy his entire life, that we all have a story to tell. But I also realized that not everybody has, you know, again, an offset smoker from no scale or an old hickory in their house. So they can't sometimes do these recipes. So when we finished up this book, I, I reached out to the publisher and I said, well, when the time comes, I'd like to put together a book that's kind of our, our weekend warrior in our back home, you know, somebody that's home isn't going to be intimidated to make, or they're not going to read it and be like, well, you know what? These are all popular guys who have multi-million dollar restaurants and everything else. I, I can't make it like they do. So I wanted to put some recipes in there that I've made, um, that I made with my kids that we just made, you know, sometimes at a barbecue competition waiting, you know, spending all night while you fire up the other Weber and you just try to make something to eat or you, you fire up, you know, the trigger and you, you fire, have something. I mean, there's everything out there. So the, the publisher actually got back to me once smoke release and they said, we have interest from the folks uh, to do a, a Traeger type of pellet grill. They're like, are you familiar with it? I'm like, yes, I have a Traeger. I've got a, a cook shack. I've got a couple of my obsession into barbecue leads me to tell you, unfortunately I have over 13 smokers and grills on my property. So it kind of, uh-huh. uh, I, I have an addiction. I, I my name is Ed and uh, I have to admit <laughs> <laughs> That's the first step to admitting you have a problem. Yes. <laughs> it's admitting it, right? <laughs> so tell us about what the what a, a pellet grill is. How, how does it work? It doesn't use charcoal. Doesn't use wood. It uses pellets. No, and the so pellets are wood. Yep, they're, they're wood grade pellets. They're other food grade pellets, all made from natural wood. Traeger has their own brand as well, but you can find a couple others out there. Sometimes at your uh, local retailer, from you know your hardware stores to Home Depots and, and stuff like that. And the smokers consist of, and the grills, I, I call everything a smoker because they, they do smoke as well. They have a hot box inside of them, a little heating element. And when you turn on the switch, what you want, it will, a little hopper will actually open up and drop some pellets into the heating element. Heating element gets hot, starts to make some smoke. And in the very first, probably 200 degrees that is warming up, you really get an intense smoke flavor, which is where a lot of your smoke comes. So usually what I try to tell people is if you're going to be smoking something at 250 degrees. If you're doing a pork butt or a brisket, set it low at 200 degrees for the first couple of hours. So it really can generate a lot of smoke and get inside that meat. Um, The meat will only take smoke until it reaches an internal temperature of 145 degrees. Then it won't take any more smoke. So do it for the first couple hours. Then you turn it on up to your 250, 275 and let the cook go throughout the night. And the pellet smokers, they, they can burn hot. They can burn fast. Something that you can actually get enough in there. That heating element can warm that thing right up to about 500, 600 degrees. So you can do your pizzas and, you know, have a nice crust to put a pizza stone on there and get a, a nice crust within five or six minutes. So, you know, Ed, a lot of people, and I'm saying this tongue in cheek, okay? You don't know, you don't know my sense of humor. So I will tell you, I'm kidding in advance, but a lot of people are going to be annoyed with you because yes, <laughs> the book itself, not so expensive, you know, it's a bargain, but you can't just buy the book. You got to buy the Traeger with it. True, true, <laughs> so true. If you don't have a Traeger, it's going to cost you a lot of money for this book. It does. And there are some other competitors out there that make a, a less expensive kind of pellet smoker. But I always like to tell everybody, you know, you get what you pay for. It's one of the right. things that if you, if you want the results and you want something that's going to be durable and last. And plus, one thing I love with the Traeger folks is the customer service. You, if you call mm-hmm. them with an issue... It's immediate that they address it. They get it out to you. They get the parts to you. I've called in some pro- uh, products that I've had, and they send me out a couple parts. They're like, it's either going to be A or B. We're sending you both. Whatever one you don't need, send it back to us. Um, and to me, it was great because you know, they didn't want to see me be out of commission for uh, any period of time. 
Right. Now, these recipes that are, that are in the book. They look delicious. You, they look yeah, absolutely. Okay. The photo. You don't have to. Oh, that's, that's so delicious. That's Ken Goodman. Yeah, that's the, Ken Goodman can make anything oh, the, look great, man. He makes me look good. My picture in the book looks good. So, you know, he does the food. You can make some of these without a Traeger, without right. a pellet grill. Uh, pretty much all of them. Um, they're, right. they're all just meant to be able to use. Uh, right. really features the, the flexibility and the versatility of a Traeger to kind of show summer from a grill, summer from a smoker, summer from a, a, an oven sort of deal. But if you have um, if you have a Weber, you have no problems. They, they can do it. Weber kettle can. Um, right. a green egg could do this. A Primo ceramic cooker could do all of these. You know, stuff that can run the lower temperatures and the high t- higher temperatures. Absolutely. Right. But a pellet grill is just, it is awesome because you just, it is true. You set it and forget it. And, you know, the temperature, the good, the good ones. You're right. There are some, there are some that you see and they're cheaply made and you can open them up. I'm, I'm talking about the ones in the, uh, the box stores, yes, you, know, yeah. the, you know, the brands that maybe you haven't heard of or whatever. Yeah. And you can tell that you want good insulation, obviously, yep. because the more insulated it is, then it doesn't have to use a ton of pellets to keep that heat. Especially yeah. if you're cooking in the winter, which I'm sure you do, I do, right? There's no season for grilling. It's not grilling season. It's all year. But a lot of them in the stores, you know, they have that very thin metal, thin gauge metal yeah. on it. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. yeah. And the plus two with the with the pellet grills is is the maintenance and also the pellets. You know, it's stuff you can store at your house. You don't have to worry about charcoal all over the place or wood being all. Mm-hmm. And especially when it cooks, the ash is very minimal. It's not like a huge ash bin that you have to empty out either. And there's a lot of different wood flavors. The pellets yeah. that they that they sell, you can get all different flavors. So, yeah, flavors. I, you know what I mean. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Apple Absolutely. and cherry yep. and pecan and. Yep, and even they do some. They do some custom blends as well that have some of the you know mesquite with apple in there and cherry mixed in with it. How long did it take you to write this book, Traeger? Uh, believe not, the uh, the Traeger Grill book. I probably did everything start to finish in about just over two months. Wow. Between uh, my wife and Ken Goodman, I mean, thank God Ken lives pretty close to us here. So he was able to schedule a time that I'd write the book and a bunch of recipes. And then he would just drive on up. Um, I'm kind of in Orange County. He's in Rockland. So it's about 40 minutes. So whenever he was in town, he could jump on up and we would just kind of fire up the Traegers and, and have a good day. And, and if you ever mm-hmm. meet Ken, he's a phenomenal spirit and a phenomenal man that uh, you don't even realize you're working. And it's, it's really a fun time. And then he starts taking the photos and you're like, holy cow, I made that. Uh, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into some of these recipes. Flipping through the book, and I stopped on this page, and it's like, I got to taste this. The burnt end and bacon-wrapped pocket burger. Yes. That's, that's definitely, that looks absolutely fantastic. That is definitely not bad. You know, you make a brisket, you get a full pack of brisket, the thing's going to be 14, 15 pounds, and you, there's only so much you can eat in one sitting. I hate to admit how much I can eat in a sitting. But, <laughs> you know, the next day, you've got these burnt ends left over. And what's a better way to do them? You know, fire up the Traeger again and let's make a burger and stuff some burnt ends inside them. Ed, I, I have to admit I cheated. I, I Googled you on, online. Well, it's funny. When, when I Googled you on my phone, you came up. It said Ed Randolph. It had your picture. But underneath it, it said basketball player. All right. Good. <laughs> so, but then, I, but then when you look up, like on a bigger thing, like a computer or a tablet, there is a basketball player named Ed Randolph. Oh, is I guess. there? <laughs> it, I know it's kind of funny, but so you're you're not a basketball player then? No, but I wish I had one of those contracts because they get paid nice. Yeah, yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. All right. So tell, but I I happen to see that you didn't start out 
in this barbecue uh, world. So tell us a little about your background. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of grew up in the up here in the Hudson Valley area right, where I currently live now. It's a very rich agricultural kind of community. Family had a dairy farm. I was uh, an accident, my parents will tell you. I wasn't expected, so I was the baby of the family. So while everybody could go out and work on the farm and stuff, I always got stuck kind of being back home. And I would be with my mom and my grandma. And that's really how I just learned to cook, by observing them and watching them. And every day was kind of like a festival because you had to have a ton of food ready at a certain amount of time. And all the guys and girls were coming in to eat. And they had to eat within a half hour, hour and get back out to work again. So uh, I really was amazed to watch you know, that preparation and just the kind of the due diligence of getting everything ready. And it had to be ready at a certain time. And out it went. And I always had a passion for food. Always enjoyed cooking, even as a young kid. However, mom and dad, very blue collar, and, and you know, I respect all their decisions. They didn't want their boy to be working 100 hours a week and working in a kitchen. So they said, you have to go to a college and you're going to become an accountant. So I said, all right. So I went to college and become an accountant and uh, was just probably, uh, now I think we're on year eight. About, I used to do a, a little party every year on January 1st for all of our, our friends. I used to call it the friends, family, and freeloaders party. You know, Whoever wanted to come and eat because... It seemed like New Year's Day was the only day we all were together. We weren't doing holiday stuff, weren't running around. You could get everybody together. And my one friend finally said, Ed, you got to offer your food out to the public. So I, uh, I started to wholesale it. I started to cater some small events. And it just kind of, kind of grew as this underground kind of thing where my phone was kept on ringing for food and food. And um, one day I was like, well, you know what? This is the day that we're going to launch the brand. But I needed a name. Couldn't really think of a name and anything to come up with. I, I worked down in New York City, so I leave every day. About five o'clock in the morning, I'm up and I'm gone. And my uh, oldest daughter, Lily, woke up. She was five years old. And I was at, I'll never forget it. I was at the bottom of the stairs and she woke up and she said, Daddy, she goes, have a good day. You're a handsome devil. Now, <laughs> oh my Lord. I was like, handsome devil barbecue. That's the, that's the perfect name. And then <laughs> see my mug and really start to laugh and they realize that's the name of it. But <laughs> I am on the train coming down, you know, the MTA train trying to Google the, the name to see, make sure nobody else has the name. It's not... So by the time I got to New York City, I had the name reserved on like GoDaddy's websites and all the stuff. So uh, that was the birth, the birth of it, you know. And now, eight years later, I think she's trying to hit me up with some royalty fees. But uh, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> now you are going to be opening a restaurant, right? Tell us about yes. restaurant. As as crazy as this world is, and and everybody is you know quarantined, and we're worried about what's going to be in the next uh, phase of this world. We're taking the chance. We're doing it. We just closed on a building in, in Newburgh. It's about 5,300 square feet. And we're just waiting for the kind of the pause and play to be finished up so we can get in and start swinging some hammers and, and building it out. So looking about a two-month um, build-out period. So we're hoping that if we can get back to work next week, at right around July 4th time, we'll be able to have a, a grand opening. You know, Ed, I was in Arizona last year, and I went to a barbecue restaurant. I, I don't remember the name. But they had their smoker outside in front of the restaurant. And I've been in other barbecue restaurants before. They had the the, the grill and their their burner smoker in, inside. How will how will yours work? Will you have a, a smoker outside? I have three of them. Yeah, I have a mill scale thousand gallon, which is similar to what you'll find at Franklin's, and Billy uh, Derny's got one down in his place in Miami, set smoker. So that'll be outside. Then inside, I have two J and R's that will be in the kitchen. The plan right now is to have an entrance way going from the restaurant outside to like seeing where the smokehouse is and having a patio for people to kind of. Hang out there and, and watch me while I'm doing my work. Now, Ed, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Where this is this is one of those. This is one where you know you ever go to a baseball game and the person proposes on the uh, you yeah. know on the big <laughs> screen. 
And I'm married, Len. I'm married. I'm sorry, but I'm taken. All right. And, they, and you know, they, <laughs> damn. And they hope that the person's going to say yes, so otherwise they're embarrassed. When you open this restaurant, Jeff and I, we've been doing, it's kind of gotten sidelined by this pandemic, but we, we're doing kind of a barbecue tour where we go to different barbecue restaurants and we do our podcast from there. And we sample the wares, of course. And we would like to, when you're open, do an episode from your restaurant. That would be great. Um, but I would also offer up to you guys if you want. We're going to kind of do a soft opening and we're hoping that the kind of lift of the quarantine, everything will be over. But we have some friends down south and some friends from the Midwest that uh, you'll recognize their name, but uh, we're going to work on them getting them to come into town. I don't want to give any spoilers yet, but there are some notable pit masters that you'd hear of. So maybe we're going to have you guys come up do a little Q&A and just kind of hang out with us. You know, I, I'd love for you to do the podcast, but I'd like more of you just to kind of immerse yourself in the barbecue family and sit around a smoker and just hear everybody tell stories. Because for me, that's that, that's what I enjoy. You know, just sitting back and, and hearing, you know, the likes of Pat Martin and Billy Durney bust each other's chops, you know, and uh-huh. yeah. Gary, Gary Bringle starts singing a song out of nowhere. You know, it's it just, uh, to me, that's really what the barbecue family is kind of all about. Where we're just kind of a bunch of uh, misfits. But we all we all need to. <laughs> will the we'll uh, devil's BLT will the devil's BLT be on the menu? Again, <laughs> no, no the, really the, BLT, the BLT will not be. Maybe that for, maybe for the soft opening we will for a little appetizer. <laughs> this will be a strict barbecue joint for all the stuff things you probably find: brisket, whole pork, chicken ribs, some turkey. Every now and then we might throw a few things on there. We're exploring with some pastrami recipes now and some pastrami beef ribs. So we'll try to work those in the menu too. You know, Len and I went to a barbecue smoke restaurant called Smokehouse in Garden City. And the owner there told us he only offers pastrami there on Fridays because of the quantity of of pastrami that he, or the corned beef that turned into pastrami cooks. Is that an issue with a lot of barbecue restaurants? The, The issue is just the amount of cure time. I mean, to do it right, you need to cure your pastrami about 15 days. So to constantly have that much brisket sitting off to the side, not being used, and, and the cost of prime brisket again is, is imagine what it's going to be when we're through this because of the meat shortages and everything else we're fi- finding. So I think a lot of times you'll find pitmasters locations do the pastrami on weekends to help even their brisket line, so they so they can get in and more yield out of the brisket throughout the day as well. Because if if you have, for example, on a thousand gallon max brisket, I can put twenty four on there. So if I can have 24 briskets and, you know, five or six pastrami's, well, now I have 30 so-called briskets to kind of get me through the day. So because your busier times, it's, it's you always want to make sure you have enough food to try to get you as long as you can throughout the day. You don't want to sell out in five minutes unless you're Aaron Franklin. And <laughs> <laughs> Ed, barbecue has definitely become a lot bigger on the East mm-hmm. Coast, uh, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, wherever some of the better barbecue places are around, you know, in Brooklyn, right? There's a, uh, there's one place, of course, off the top of my head, I forget the name of it, but it's always in the top Morgan's. list of barbecue places. Well, well Morgan's, right. But that's, Morgan's. that's not even the one that I'm thinking hometown, of. You have hometown? Hometown. I think that's yeah. the one I'm thinking of. But the one thing about it is we don't have New York, this area, we don't have a style. Like, you know, Texas, of course, has their brisket and, you know, the Carolinas have what? their sauces and their, you know, whether they're making pork ribs and this, what are you finding? How, how are you deciding what you're going to serve? Is it just take a little of this, a little of that, or it is, well, I I think you're seeing, I think you're seeing it almost globally with with barbecue becoming more popular and stuff is that people are, are not trying to do so much 
Carolina. Like, I'm not going to try to emulate Carolina. Well, I'm not going to try to emulate Texas. Will my brisket be a Texas style? Yes, will be a salt and pepper rub. But I'm not going to ship in white post oak from Texas in order to cook with. I think everybody is starting to use what is local to them and use what kind of flavors and profiles and what the community kind of suggests. Um, something you just mentioned, hometown. Well, Billy Durney's got some Korean sticky ribs on his menu. Why? Because he has a large Korean population in, in Brooklyn. So he wants to cater to them and, and show that kind of ethnicity and that flavors in his food. So for me up here, I'm surrounded by apple orchards everywhere. So I have apple orchards practically giving me one. So why wouldn't I smoke with apple wood or right. cherry? So uh, I do. And I have a ton of red oak around here too. So I can use red oak instead of white post oak. Will it be a little different? It will be a little different. Will my brisket be the same as Truths and, and Austin there? Or Probably not. Will, uh, will you say it's one of the better briskets you've had in your life? I hope so. Um, I'm very fond of it, and so are a lot of people that, that enjoy it. Um, but I th- really think that you're trying to find, you know, as you go with a global kind of presence and popularity of barbecue is the fact that everybody's using stuff that's local to them and really trying to feature what their kind of local local community has to offer. This book, Smoked, let's go to the, the you, you mentioned all these barbecue places. Smoked, I love it for the recipes, but the stories Great, of these right? pitmasters. Oh, this is, if anybody is not familiar with this book, it's called Smoked. And it's what, I mentioned it in the opening, One Man's Journey to Find Incredible Recipes, Standout Pitmasters, and Stories Behind Them. Wow. If you love history and just learning about the different people in barbecue, I can't see any book that's better than this. It's, it's just the, the stories be, with the pitmasters. And each one gives their signature, gives recipes that what's amazing is, like, how are you giving these away? This is your recipe. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's, that's, that's what I think separates barbecue from pretty much any other cuisine that's out there. I mean, how often do you see the sushi guys getting together? Not often. But barbecue guys do. And, and we want to share what we can do and, and share our experience and share our recipes. I mean, you know what? If if you can go out and make a you know Brunswick stew as good as you know Swig and Swine in Charleston can, knock yourself out and do it. That's what Anthony would like to see. You know, take what I've given you and and do better. You know, pretty much train you to take my job is what he's trying to think. You know, try to try to make what I did even better. And it's it's great and it's a, it's a funny story. I, I would I try to get Rodney Scott, um, huge guy down in South Carolina, for the book, and our schedules just couldn't line up when we were traveling through there. Uh, not too long ago, I went to Charleston and I, I did a little promo for the book and I was there at Home Team Barbecue and then Anthony from Swiggins Flying showed up and just happened to be that Mo Kaysan was was in town. So he came in and Rodney came over and he's looking at the book and he's like, why am I not in this book? <laughs> and I was like, sorry, I was like, we just couldn't get the schedule, the scheduling in there. And he re- reaches over, gives me his cell phone number. He goes, if you do another one, I'm the first one in the book. I was like, absolutely, Rodney. I'll get you in there for sure. Well, I would love to turn this into like a series. And, and even if we just did it regionalized and kind of showcased pitmasters from the Northeast, another one from the Southeast, sure. and even out West. I mean, Texas could probably have their own book. Well, you mentioned Rodney and, Scott. And we, uh, yeah. we featured his book earlier in an early episode. We were going through That's the book. That's true. Yeah. Yes, we did. That's right. We, we fe- your book was in the episode. You were missing, but your yeah. book. <laughs> we were hoping, you know, we mentioned the book. Maybe he said, wait a second. <laughs> That's right. We did. We talked about the book. Now, you mentioned Rodney Scott. Mm-hmm. He was uh, one of the nine semifinalists today announced for the Barbecue Hall of Fame. Great. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of people that put a lot of time in there, and it's very few that probably put more in than Rodney. He's, he's been working a long time to perfect the craft and keep the craft alive. You know, it's um, somebody like him has allowed somebody like me to have an opportunity because it, it could be somebody that has 
went down to Carolinas and had his barbecue and they come up and whether they see us, we travel. So my, my team travels a lot. We travel from Vermont to South beach. So if they come up and see our trucks and trailers somewhere, they could say, you know what? I had a pork sandwich one time and in Carolina, that was good from Rodney Scott. Yours is just as good. You know, and to me, that's the biggest compliment I can ever receive. Uh, yeah. At least people have that meal from him and that, that taste that they realize, you know what? Barbecue is good. Let me try and, get, and give somebody else a chance. Uh, I see, Jeff. Are you going to ask him a question? Because I don't want to, I don't want to step on you. Well, I was going to ask some big thing about things you can do in the uh, smoker in, in, on, the, on the Traeger, looking yeah. through your forward, I, I see that you can smoke, bake, you can bake, sear. What are you yeah. baking in the Traeger? We've baked um, everything from cakes to pies. I'd make a cheesecake. I'd make it do a white chocolate cheesecake on the Traeger that uh, I've literally done a competition. I've not finished less than third anytime I've run that recipe. And there's a lot of things. You do uh, some skillet brownies in there. Uh, it'll run right at 350 degrees, and it, it runs almost probably more consistent than your oven at your house. If, if you ever want to have a, a, a test, put a digital thermometer kind of like with a probe in your, in your oven in your house and watch the fluctuation. It'll go from 350, maybe down to 330, back up to 360, and deliver a whole 350. You put that same thing in a Traeger, and that thing will pretty much stick right around that 350 range of a few degrees the entire time. And that's what you're looking for when you cook, you know, consistency, especially of time and temperature. Wow. Now, Ed, I asked you about how long it took you to write the Traeger book, and I shouldn't just call it the Traeger book. I should, I should tell everyone exactly what it's called. It's show-stopping BBQ with your Traeger grill. Standout recipes for your world pellet, for your, I'm sorry, for your wood pellet cooker from an award-winning pitmaster. This book is available wherever you get books now, right? Amazon, yes. uh, bookstores, wherever, right? Arms okay. and Amazon, all the, all the major retailers. Perfect. Took you two months to write it. This book, Smoke, you went all over the country with this. Now, did you go all over the country? You did. Yes. So yes. I don't even know how long it took to write this book because just the the travel alone, you were in California. You were in every state. Almost what state didn't you go to? Well, we, we missed a few. Um, we didn't have them all, but uh, you want to hear something crazy. We did that entire book start to finish in three months. So wow. It was... Uh, it was insane because I, I had the idea and at the time the publisher reached out to me to do a book and they wanted to do a book similar to the Traeger book that we did. They wanted me to write that. And I was really pitching this idea of smoked. And it finally came down to the, the owner of the publishing company got on a, got on a conference call and he's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, I told him, I told him my idea. And similar to how you said, how are these pitmasters or why would they give you the recipe? And that was the one thing they said. And I was like, because we are a barbecue family. We want to see each other succeed. They're like, right. if, you can, if you can get a recipe, then let's try to get three of them, they said, um, by the end of the day. So literally the shed just won Memphis in May um, two years ago. They're on their way home. I called the Orsons up, knowing them. I said, can you, you want to be in this book? We can celebrate your victory, Memphis in May, and I need a recipe. Not a problem. I then reached out to 17th Street, um, Mike and Amy Mills. Called them, not a problem. Re then forwarded to that, that email I received, the confirmation from 17th Street over to Gary and Leslie Worker, U-Bonds, they were in. So I had three people, three pretty big name barbecue folks in the book within the first 24 hours. The publisher said, all right, we need everything done by the end of September. So it happened to be that we were right around end of June. I looked over and I was like, you know what? This is going to be one of those old school, get everybody to get the kids in the car. And we're going to go travel, you know, the U.S. And it just happened to work out great that Ken Goodman was my photographer for that, for that book as well. And uh, he did the same thing with his family. So it was like two families just traveling the U.S., old school, in a car, 
you know, going around. Um, then there were certain times we had to fly out because we're not driving all the way to California. But uh, try to just group everybody together. And for my, for me, it was experience for my kids. Uh, they loved it. They they were wondering why you know every why isn't everybody always this nice? Um, <laughs> in New York, you're a little desensitized to the to the. They want to lending a hand to you. So literally, you show up in Mississippi, and the folks at U-Bonds have the door open and feeding us nonstop. Go down to see Fox Brothers in Atlanta. They're putting everything on the menu in front of you. And uh, my daughters are like, "How do you know these? Are they friends?" And I'm like, "We're just barbecue. You know, that's it." So um, it was a great experience on on both ends to be able to write the book, to be able to share kind of all of my friends in the barbecue world, kind of passion and their stories, but also just to kind of do a family road trip with the kids. This book is just like, I know there's there's people that have told me, uh, Guy Fieri's Diners, Dives, Drives, mm-hmm. Dives, whatever the book, they keep it in their car. And whenever they travel, if they, you know, they purposely make sure that they go to one of the places that's in that area. I would do that with this book. I appreciate Keep this that. in That's my glove compartment or if I'm in that area or pick a, pick a barbecue place. All right. That, thank you. That means that that's, that was my intention. When I made it. I wanted to be part travel book and, and part cookbook and, and really um, get out and see the world. And, and even when you, when you're reading the book, if you see somebody like, you know what, there's Carrie Bringle in there. You go to his restaurant, Carrie, go up and talk to him and ask him a story. I think we, we want to talk. We want to share our experience because when you walk in our doors, you know, what you're eating is, is what we and this is our recipes, and this is us. So you, we're welcoming you into our home, into our family. So as much as we want to see you come in there and, and spend a couple hundred dollars, we want to see you have a good meal. We want to feed you. So, you know, always, if you see an owner of a restaurant, just give them a high five, thank their hand, uh, shake their hand, thank them. Well, I can't shake hands anymore. But <laughs> Bauer. Bauer. Jeff, what are they going to do? <laughs> you can't do the Falcon uh, sign. There you go. <laughs> sign. <laughs> I want to ask you about your, your website, Handsome Devil llc.com yes sir Looking at it and they are such it's such a great website a picture of your new restaurant that's going to open up yeah the gallery of all the people that you 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 meet and your your family it's just wonderful to explore thank you tell us about it you know you do catering you do shop you i guess there's a you can buy uh merchandise off of this website yeah we got, we got some of our merch we have uh our books up there that we have offered uh any book that's purchased in there i will autograph so everything gets kind of hand signed just put your name in the note section who you want me to make it uh sign it out to and then we're going to be starting up in the next couple of weeks probably doing some uh takeout and food deliveries and stuff from there as well but it really showcases everything we do because in, in addition to just having a restaurant we do a lot of festivals events catering concessions um, movie premieres. I mean, you wouldn't believe that we get the call for doing stuff. For example, we did the the Suicide Squad. And they came to New York City for the big movie premiere, and I am such a, such a terrible, terrible recognition of faces and names. I have no idea. So, only thing I knew there was this one guy and his kid were harassing me for more ribs. They wanted ribs, wanted ribs, and I mean, I I couldn't get them out there fast. Enough. I was like a blackjack dealer throwing ribs on the table, and finally, someone came up to me. And they're like, "You realize that's Will Smith, right?" And I'm like. Oh, <laughs> oops! <laughs> uh, but we do, and for me, the, the website helps showcase a lot of my staff and a lot of people because they're the ones who kind of embody me and and, and kind of motivate me because they, they they hear my ramblings and my dreams and my directions for us. And I tell us, you know, I tell everybody, tells us to stop. There's there's no difference between us and anybody else that's out there in the world, and it's just taking advantage of every opportunity. And uh, for those who say that I'm, I'm lucky, I hear that a lot of times, oh, you're lucky to be who you are because it could be anybody. You know, for me, luck is, is an opportunity and being prepared and meeting at the right time. 
for us, it's always about being prepared because you never know who's going to be the opportunity who's knocking on the door. Uh, we did the New York, uh, New York air show. I mean, we literally had a feed. Whew, I had three VIP tents that had 2000 people in it. And then I had uh, three other chalets that had like, one of them had like, I don't know, 4,000 people. I mean, to, to, just to say it was insane for us to be able to, to think our little kind of company could feed that many people on a day was kind of, um, you know, rewarding for all of us. And when you're competing, Ed, are you doing KCBS competitions? Yes. Uh, I usually do KCBS and then NEBS, the grilling competition up here in the Northeast. Um, I do some of the, uh, um, we do Memphis in May. So I team up with Kerry Bringle and Tank Jackson. And then we did that last year. We finished seventh for a whole hog. This year, we're going to hopefully go back in October if it ever happens and uh, see if we can improve on our standings. So, uh, but mostly it's all KCBS stuff. That's uh, majority of all the awards that I win. We have six different state titles, but it's, it's really uh, KCBS titles. Cause you're now, now your competition uh, juices are, you have to go somewhere else. So that there's no competition. So there's, there's nothing. I mean, and it, it is, it's really getting scary because I can tell you now everything almost through, uh, I just had my July 4th one canceled already. So it's, it's, you know, mm. we're all in our kind of, shelter in place sort of deal and everybody's hoping May 15th is the big day. Well, I can already tell you July 4th is before you're going to see any type of barbecue competition of any, any size. So I'm forecasting end of August probably is before we might get out to do any type of events. So that's no way. I'm going to throw out a question that Len usually asks. It's the weekend. You're in your backyard with your family. What are you cooking? Man? Well, if I'm out there with my family, um, what I love to do is I love to cook with my kids. So we usually pick up something that we go to the store that they would like to try to make. Um, they would work on. So anything from Cornish hens, uh, tenderloins, you know, I, I try to bring up each one can season their own, cook their own. If it's just me, uh, you're probably going to find some beef ribs and some salmon sitting on my smoker somewhere in there. I, I love, I love just a nice smoked salmon and a beef rib I could probably eat for like two or three days if things are monstrous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ed, in the book, you have beer can chicken. Now, I'm a huge beer can chicken fan. We've had, I'm not trying to create controversy here, but we've had Meathead on. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you know his views on beer can chicken. What do you think? Well, yeah, obviously you're a beer can chicken fan. So I think a beer can chicken just allows to have some fun while you're cooking as well. I mean, any, anything that starts out with open a beer and drink the first third of it. Well, there you go. That's a question. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think, though, because I'm going to try this. Do you think that if you don't have the beer can in there and you just, you know, get, they, they sell these, you know, the, the colders, yeah. right? Yeah. And you just put the chicken on one of those. Do you think you're going to get the same? Is it, uh, the, is it the chicken being upright and, and everything dripping off because the skin on a beer can chicken is incredible. It's crisp. It's it's nice. But do you think that, uh, like I said, I'm not trying to create controversy. But no, do you think my, my, my thought is, I'm, I'm like most smokers, if you ever try to make a chicken, you have like a water pan or something, the skin doesn't get kind of that nice, you know, skin. It's, it's I'm going to say it's a slimy, it's a softer skin. Right. I thought it was with the beer can is the fact that it allows to act like a water pan inside the chicken to keep it moist without it affecting the outside of the chicken itself. So you're able to get a, a great moist kind of product and it doesn't, I don't know. I always make sure there's a beer in mine. I mean, that's, that's just me. <laughs> well, look, I, Stephen Reichlin wrote a whole book, right? He has a whole book, Beer Can't Chicken. So certainly having one recipe in the book can't hurt. No. And I love Beer Can't Chicken. I have to say, you know, it's so funny. I, the other day I wanted to make a chicken. I said, well, maybe I should make a rotisserie. And my wife said to me, she said, why don't you make beer can chicken? I said, well, 
because you know because meathead said that it's not <laughs> so she said to me she said so why are you gonna change it's always so good when you make it you know i'm sure it's not so i said okay yeah <laughs> you convinced me i'm very not, i'll go either way i don't care it's not broke don't fix it exactly we're not going to keep you much longer jeff do you have anything else that you'd like to ask ed I'll just yeah. Anything you when is your when is the restaurant uh, schedule open? And if you want to uh, anything you need to plug your website, the book, book anything, ahead. please. You have a Twitter, your Facebook, anything you need to uh, anything you want to promote. And absolutely, we're we're, we're hopeful that we can have the restaurant open up right around after July Fourth time. I mean, right. now we're just in this kind of shelter in place with our even our local city. I mean, nothing can happen until May 15th. So next week, hopefully we can get the word that we can go back to work. And then we're looking at probably around a two month build out time uh, from start to finish. Uh, we have some demo to do and then to build it out. All of our stuff uh, online, you know, anything handsomedevilllc.com. You can look at Facebook, Instagram, everything the handle is handsome Devil barbecue. That's where you can find us on there. I say or promote, go visit your barbecue joints, eat local, buy local, support local. When this is all said and done and we can go back out and, and, and be right with the world again and be somewhat normal, support all your local places, man, because it's, it's tough. It's, you hear about these people. Uh, I can tell you firsthand that PPP loan stuff, I, I was too late to get any of my information in. So we weren't eligible to get the loan. And then I look at somebody like Shake Shack's got, what, $10 million. I, yeah. I enjoy some good Shake Shack. I like the burgers and all that. But uh, they just gave the money back. You know, they should have started just making $10 million worth of burgers and throwing them off the roof of the building for us. I mean, that would have been better. But our small businesses are hurting, man. It's, it's, it's not good. And I heard a report today that possibly one out of three restaurants might not reopen. Mm. Uh, it's, it's really bad. And, and there's no way that we can keep our staff employed. Um, they want everybody to stay on it. I mean, our margins are as low as it is. And I'm going to get off my soapbox here to say, you know, for the restaurant industry, but uh, all small businesses are hurting, man. So uh, we appreciate everything that you guys are doing by uh, kind of showcasing me, showcasing other barbecue joints. We're all in it, man. We're all one big family. So let's all support each other. Absolutely. Yes, definitely go uh, support your local businesses. Absolutely. The book is Showstopping BBQ with your Traeger Grill standout recipes for your wood pellet cooker from an award-winning pitmaster. Highly recommend it. The recipes look incredible. This weekend, I'm going to start. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go eeny, meeny, miny, mo and just <laughs> pick one. And, start uh, with the shrimp scampi chicken. The shrimp scampi pizza is my favorite, man. That that thing will, you'll make it. And that thing, that's another one that uh, I actually, believe it or not, in 2015, won Best Pizza in Connecticut. Barbecue guy shows up there and I, I won it with that, that recipe. So that took it. Really? Yeah. And we won't have a meat shortage with for shrimp, so. <laughs> there you go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> You're okay with that. Ed, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thank you, guys. I hope to see you guys in July when we open up. Okay, great. Take care. Jeff, that interview with Ed Randolph was terrific. The guy is an incredible barbecue pit master. He, of course, is opening the restaurant. Look forward to that. And don't forget to purchase Smoked, One Man's Journey to Find Incredible Recipes, Standout Pitmasters, and the Stories Behind Them. And, of course, his latest, which is show-stopping barbecue with your Traeger grill, standout recipes for your wood pellet cooker from an award-winning pitmaster. Both books are exceptional. I think you're going to really enjoy them. And you know who'd like barbecue? Bartolo Colon. Oh, yes, he would. <laughs> Big sexy. And now for our interview with Michael Stahl, the author of Big Sexy, 
Bartolo Colon in his own words. Major League Baseball has had its fair share of players whose mere presence makes you smile. We've been extremely fortunate to witness one such player's career, and upon his arrival in New York, his play made us smile, and in turn, he earned the nickname by which he is now known, and which one must admit is a perfect fit. Big Sexy, Bartolo Colon, in his own words, is a wonderful story on the career of a wonderful player. We are so fortunate to have with us Michael Stahl, who is a freelance writer, editor, and journalist based in Queens, New York, whose work has been published in many print and digital publications, including Rolling Stone, Vice, Vulture, Village Voice, Mick, Mike, Quartz, and City Lab. Together with Bartolo Colon, he has written this wonderful story. So welcome to Baseball and Barbecue, Michael Stahl. Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for that that great intro. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, I got to make it good for a writer. I, I feel like <laughs> I, I'm going to get judged. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is Mike.com, by the way. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a butcher with the English language, so, you know. Well, you know, it's hard for me because, you know, when I was a staff writer at Mike, you know, my first name is Mike. So when I was telling people like, oh, I'm, you know, I got this article up for Mike. A lot of people just kind of like what, huh? Like, like they're like they blew like a gasket, right? Jeff, you want to begin, or I'll jump right in because I'm ready. What Go ahead. You? I defer to you. So, Mike, first question for you. Okay, I see that obviously Bartolo Colon is not with you, which all right, we'll we'll forgive that. But once we're finished, you may say, you know, I think I should get him with you guys. <laughs> I know a little Spanish. I could speak to him a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, one, one thing I'll say to that is, is I'll say two things. First of all, yeah, if he was with me, you'd see him in the frame. But the second thing I'll say to that is that, you know, Bartolo and I certainly, you know, were are friendly and I'm grateful, you know, to him for allowing me to tell his story to the world and for him to trust me with his story. Uh, but, you know, I... You know, we kept it professional. I, I don't, I honestly, I never even got his phone number. I'm literally wow. his biographer and I never even got his phone number. We just, you know, kept everything through sort of uh, professional channels. And, you know, it was a working relationship, a very friendly, very good, very enjoyable working relationship, but a working relationship nonetheless. And uh, yeah, if I could call him up and invite him on and, and I had that kind of relationship, I would uh, <laughs> not exactly how it went down for us. Well, did you approach Bartolo or did he come to you to, to write this book? Yeah, so actually the book was the brainchild of Garrett McGrath, who is an editor at Abrams Books. And Bartolo's representatives, his agency, uh, or the agency that represents him, the Wasserman Agency. And so this was in the summer of 2018. And Garrett just sense that Bartolo's career at the time, it seemed like it was coming to an end and his major league career and uh, thought that uh, a book about him and character that is Bartolo and, you know, his ups and downs in his career, the ups and downs that he's had in his life, he thought that it would be, he would be a great subject for a book. So Wasserman was into it, Bartolo was into it, and then Garrett needed a writer and uh, he called me. Well, it's a really uh, enjoyable book. It's an easy read. You know, for anybody, it's, 
it's, it's very, I guess, a very enjoyable. It starts out where he, you, you start out where he, in 2005, I guess, he's winning the Cy Young Award and then he's celebrating in his town of, uh, please pronounce it right because I know I got it, I'll butcher it. Altamira. Altamira, Dominican Republic, right? And he's a big star down there, isn't he? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm putting it lightly. I mean, first of all, in terms of, in, in, in terms of Altamira and then the city within Altamira that he's from, El Cope, he is by far the most famous person to come from, from El Cope. And I think basically in the Dominican, there's, I think there's one other like Latin music band or something from El Cope that is also sort of famous, but he is a, a massive, massive star. And when I was down in the Dominican driving around with him through El Cope, he's driving in this big Range Rover and people are like looking into his his windshield as he's driving down the street and people are like looking at his windshield and they're like, you see their like jaws drop and they're like, Oh, and then they just like wave like slowly at him. And he just very jovially like waves back. Hello. You know? So yeah, I mean, just, just driving down the street, basically anybody that laid eyes on him knew who he was and, and they were like blown away. Very humble beginnings. Uh, one of six children in a three bedroom, three room house. Shared with his brothers and sisters, worked for his father. Very humble beginnings, right? Yeah, we were. So we went to his baseball academy, which he had built into a mountainside in the the Dominican, close to where he grew up. So we're kind of hanging out and and I'm interviewing him at, at his stadium. And he's showing me the bus that he bought for his players. So his academy is like just all these like young Dominican kids as young as 12, 13 years old, you know, up until they are 16, 17, 18, if they're drafted by the major leagues, you know, they basically live in this stadium and Bartolo's trainers, you know, train these kids to be professional baseball players. And then of course the academy gets a, a kickback uh, from their, from their contract if, if and when they're signed by a major league club. Anyway, we're standing next to this area where he has this bus parked, and it was where he had parked his his Range Rover as well. I say a bus, I don't mean like a massive bus. I mean, it was a bus that seated, I think, I don't know, you know, something like 30 people or something. It wasn't, it wasn't like that crazy huge. It wasn't like one of those big Guns N' Roses tour buses or something like that. Um, <laughs> so it's in this just sort of like parking garage area. It was open air. It was open air. But it was basically a Range Rover and, and this mid-sized bus and I say to him I was like so how big was you know the the little house where you grew up and he's like I don't know about about the size of this <laughs> it's like wow and it's eight people you know living in the uh living in those tight quarters so it's basically three rooms you know what I I found interesting and you you just hit upon it as I'm reading and I'm, I'm seeing this baseball academy and I'm my first thing as, as I'm reading it is, well, I have a feeling that he's footing the bill for all of this. And that's really nice. And then we get to the part, and, and this is great that, that it works like that, where he actually makes money if these players get signed. I never realized that. Yeah. With, with, I mean, it, it is a for-profit business. But with that said, you know, it is still a great thing for the community to have. Right. You know, still something where these kids that are talented and they don't just take anybody on, you know, they take kids that, you know, seem to be real prospects. So, you know, yeah, it is a for-profit business. Yes. But 
again, it does, you know, it does serve the community for sure. Right. Yeah. The thing that, one of the things that I took from the book, watched Bartolo's career, fortunate to have watched his whole career and then very fortunate when he came to New York and especially the Mets where he got the nickname Big Sexy to see him play. But really the book takes you into you know, him as a person, but you get to really learn more about him. I always, you know, he's not just, I don't want to say clown because he's, he's not a clown, but he's not just some funny baseball player. He was always very talented. And, you know, everyone was always surprised when he hit the home run, which we, we'll talk about, when he made that great behind-the-back catch. Everyone's surprised by his athleticism. The relationships that he has with these players and, and the reason that he's, you know, he's very introverted. So it was really great to read about someone who I didn't really know anything about. And once you finish with this book, it's just another player that you really get to know well. And it's, it's, it's really great. I, I thought the book was fantastic. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Yeah, I think that as I got to know him, I began to re- I, I realized very quickly that he is a very layered individual. That's the word that, you know, I think, you know, perfectly sold summarizes what you were trying to get across Mm -hmm. he's he's a layered guy and he's and he's a dynamic guy and he's complicated in his own ways and he's kind of a walking you know he's like a walking contradiction i mean everything about him you know there's there's one there's one thing you could say about him and then at the same time you could also say the exact opposite so first of all you mentioned his physique so you know his physique belies the fact that he is an incredible athlete just an absolutely stunning athlete who can move is quick and, and everything like that. And by the way, if you ever meet him in person, he is not nearly as quote unquote fat as you might think. He's sure. big. And he's just a big dude. And you know, the, the camera puts extra weight on you. The, the uniform is, is baggy. And we actually discussed that in the, in, that's mentioned in the book as well. But, I, but I said to him the first day I met him, I was like, you're not nearly as big as I thought you were. He goes, he said, people say that to me all the time. So, you know, there's a contradiction about him. But then, you know, you mentioned that he's, you know, a, a shy person and he is. But let me tell you something. Once once I hit it off with him and I ingratiated myself with him, he he could talk and talk and talk. And he's incredibly funny. So, you know, he's he. Yeah, he's the shy guy. But guess what? You know, he asked the Mets trainer for an extra large helmet so that when he swung and missed at balls, that the helmet would fly off his head and the fans would. So he's shy, and yet he's this incredible showman. You know, so you know everything about him is is again he's a very layered and very complicated, very interesting, dynamic individual. What I enjoy about the book, and you know, all, all everything that you guys wrote was, was great. I like what you have interspersed within the book, the questions to other people who uh, who was involved in his life. Uh, also, and one of the questions: Hey, big sexy, who's your favorite? teammate and it was Manny Ramirez and, and th- those type of questions throughout the book answered by different people yeah, so it was very uh, interesting that that you included that and I really enjoyed that that was my idea well great idea Michael <laughs> great idea <laughs> Thank you, you. you're very good you yeah right <laughs> yeah I don't know what to, I don't know what to say to that other than I appreciate it and I'm glad that it uh, you know had the impact a lot of people seem to be drawn to those little sort of side nugget pieces of information and those those sort of side stories from his family, from his friends, and from his former uh, teammates and, and just sort of general colleagues from around the game. 
that was a very, very fun part of the book to put together. I think it's very interesting. If I, if I may volunteer that, you know, I think my favorite sort of side story is the one from Dan Worthen, where Dan Worthen, the former Mets pitching coach, told me that he used to play hide-and-go-seek before Bartolo starts. Just the idea of, uh, of Dan Worthen is a big guy in his own right. You know, and he's whatever, middle, post-middle-aged, you know, hiding, hiding underneath like a tarp or something somewhere and big, big sexy going around looking for him. And Dan Worthen literally like jumping out of garbage cans, like scaring him. You know, it's just, uh, just, just have that picture of that in your mind, you know? It's hilarious. You know, one of the things is you said he's a showman. And it's funny because we're actually reading, reading the new Willie Mays book. Oh, and you, you read mine first for Willie Mays? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> he also realized he was a showman as well. And, and it talks right. about that. And the same thing with him with the hat. So I thought that was a good comparison. So Bartolo would, would get the hat too big. So it would, it would fall off because he knew the fans yeah. love that and they'd laugh and he wants to entertain. And Willie Mays had a hat size, one size too small so that the hat would fall yeah. off. That's probably about that's probably about where the comparisons between Willie Mays and Bartolo <laughs> begin and end. Right, right. <laughs> let's, let's talk a little about his his career. He started off with the Indians, and did he think he was going to be an Indian for life? Because he ended up being on eleven teams, and and I want to get to the part of the book where he's where he's being traded. I thought he, he said he's going to be there for a long time, and the general manager said, "Don't worry, you're here, you're here," and then he gets traded right away. The, the general manager, I think four days before he traded Bartolo, the general manager said to Bartolo, don't worry, you're, you're going to be an Indian until you're dead. Right, right. <laughs> four days later, he traded him. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, Bartolo says in the book that, you know, he was upset, but, I don't, you know, and, you know, I guess I think every major league player might have this sense that, that they're going to be a part of the same organization that drafted them, you know, for life. Uh, I think – could you imagine, I mean, being a kid, you start playing baseball, whatever, three years old, and you're 17, 18, or, or maybe 21, 22 years old, and a major league club calls you and tells you you are now you know, going to be a professional ball player after you worked that long, that hard to get to that level. I mean, you have to, like, I don't care what the organization is, you, you have to feel so much love for that organization. And then you work your way up through the minor leagues. That's, that takes years, you know. It, it, it's, it's got to feel like, you know, you're, you know, again, it would almost sort of be like having some, some, at some point, like nine years at, at nine years old, you get new parents or something right, right, right. because uh, most, most players don't leave until they're about five or six years into their careers, because that's about when they become free agents or a trade is happening, you know, in, in lieu of their free agency. So you think in, you know, two, three, four years in the minor leagues, five, six years, you know, you're with a franchise for the most part for, you know, eight, nine, ten years before you move. And that's got to sting when, when it happens. But it didn't seem like that, that hurt really affected him too long. He says that he was upset in the moment, but he seemed to quickly turn the page and, and went on to pitch with Montreal that the rest of that year and, and pitched really well. Did he ever say why he refused to hear the explanation from the general manager? Yeah, so the the way the story goes in the book is the general manager of the Indians called him into his office and said, Bartolo, I, I want to talk to you. I want to explain something to you. And just by then, Bartolo knew that he was traded. He was already hearing rumblings that it was going to happen. 
And then suddenly, you know, the GM is calling him on his cell phone and, and asking him into the office. So Bartolo was just like, just where'd you trade me? And he's like, we, we sent you to Montreal, but I want to explain something to you. And Bartolo's like, you don't have to explain anything to me. You traded me already. What are you going to explain? So the right. guy's like, no, hold on. Let me explain. And he's like, you don't have to explain anything. Just have it, you know, God bless you and take care. And that was it. Right. And, um, you know, he, he, you know, part of it was just, I think, why he didn't want to hear it was just he was upset. But at the same time, it's true. What the hell was the guy going to tell him? <laughs> he's going to Montreal one way or the other. He's going to Montreal. And he liked Montreal, didn't he? Yeah, he did. As a matter of fact, I was down there visiting him and I was at his 46th birthday just about a year ago. And he was wearing his Expos jersey throughout most of the, the, the party, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, no, I mean, listen, he's he's proud of all the teams that, that he was a part of. And as you go through the book, you really, I think you get a sense, not only as, as Len said of the kind of person that he is, but I think you get a sense that you know, baseball, the, the, the game of baseball, especially on that professional level, it is sort of this very small fraternity. You don't realize kind of everyone sort of seems to know everyone, first of all. And guys, when they go to a city, when they go to a team, they really, you know, look to ingratiate themselves with, with a franchise, with teammates, with communities. I mean, even when he was with Chicago, I mean, he got traded from Montreal to Chicago to pitch for the White Sox, and that was the year before his free agency. He was only with Chicago one year and loved it. He loved Kenny Williams. He loved, you know, Alexi Ramirez. He loved Chicago. And when he was uh, going to be for going for free agency, even at that point, he was like, I think I'm going to be with the White Sox for life. The White Sox just didn't offer him what he wanted, and he had his right to, to go to, you know, Southern California. But Again, the point is, is like you might look at the back of his baseball card. You might see he was oh, he was with the White Sox one year or he was with the Yankees one year. But those two teams, they were huge for him. The Yankees welcomed him back to Major League Baseball. The Yankees were a, a massive, important franchise to him, to his life, to his career. And um, he's eternally grateful to the Yankees. And the average fan might not think much of it. But, oh, I forgot he was with the Yankees. Bartolo didn't forget he was with the Yankees. Two things. One is he paid for his own surgery. That was interesting. Yeah. He, he well, had bone chips removed and because he was pitching well, but he had pain, right? And then he right. paid for his surgery. You want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. So it's, it was kind of, you know, maybe, maybe in terms of him, his being on a team and, and, and just sort of not really connecting on a, on a good human level with management you know, everybody around baseball that I talked to loves him. I didn't speak to anybody in the front office from the Red Sox from the time he was there. But he was with the Red Sox briefly, and the way he describes it was that he had bone spurs in his elbow. He had constant inflammation in his pitching, his pitching shoulder, and he was in tremendous pain. But when he pitched through it, he was still throwing like 96, 97 miles an hour. So he kept telling the Red Sox, he's like, look, I'm hurt. And they're like, yeah, right, you're hurt. You, you just don't want to pitch. You know, they kind of seemed to take that attitude that they didn't believe him, that they thought he was lying. If I recall correctly, you know, he was, again, up for free agency. I believe that was the last year of his Angels contract. He played that out with the Red Sox. But I, I believe I have that right. But, you know, yeah, I mean, he, you know, so the Red Sox, where he was, when he was the Red Sox property, they didn't want him to get surgery. And he, when he was released, he was a free agent, so he just he just did the surgery, you know, himself. 
And that too was a controversial surgery because it was done in the Dominican Republic. Some mm-hmm. people speculated that there was HGH utilized in that surgery because that same doctor had used HGH on other guys, which to me is like a completely ridiculous presumption to make. I mean, just, oh, just because the doctor did one thing with one other guy, that's what he's doing with, with somebody else. So I don't know, whatever. But, you know, sometimes people in the media, you just, you got to fill the space. Anyway, so he gets the surgery and he has this fairly miraculous recovery. It's a stem cell surgery. And he misses a year recovering from that. But what I think fans did not realize at all was that he also suffered some unspeakable family tragedy at that time Mm -hmm. as well when he was at a baseball that he also had to deal with. So I don't think fans realize that he was hurting physically. He was also very much hurting emotionally. And then, like I said, a year later, the Yankees Yankees welcomed him back. Yeah. Now, he had... Yeah, you bring that up. I don't want to let that go by. The it was his brother-in-law that was yeah. was shot, but not just shot. Yeah, he was, was gunned down, basically. Yeah, yeah, and that was. And they never found. They never arrested anyone. They never found out why. And it nope. was just. He was very close with his brother-in-law too. Right. Well, his his brother. Here's how close he was to his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law was in his father-in-law's house as Bartolo was proposing, you know, or asking, sorry, asking the woman that would become his wife, right. he's being his wife's father for permission. And he couldn't say it. He was so nervous and so shy. His brother-in-law finished his request on his behalf. So that's <laughs> the guy this guy was to him. So he is murdered, you know, on his doorstep, on his own home's doorstep. Right. And no one knows why, according to Bartolo, no one has been you know, charged or caught or anything like that. And it was, it was just an absolutely brutal murder as well. So that which is described uh, at length in the book. So Bartolo went into an incredible depression and he was, I think the way he described it was, you know, by then he had had his academy built. He had this sort of basically like this, like sort of two bedroom apartment built in the stadium for himself. And he just stayed in the in the apartment basically for two for two or three months straight just totally depressed and beside himself now he was of course suspended for use of performance enhancing drugs yep and he he was you know you never all you ever hear with with the players when they get suspended is either they deny it but you never hear how i mean he actually admits it and he talks about how it made him feel how it yep. made his family feel. And you really, you get the feeling that he was truly very sorry that he did it. And that's just another thing about the book. That's why reading a book about a player like this is just so fascinating. There's, like you said, there's so many layers to this player. That's why I highly recommend this book as well. It's not just, this is a player you don't know much about. And by the end of this book, you want to just like, you know, reach out and give him a call and say, Bartolo, come on over for dinner. Come over for a barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's, he, he's, a, he's a good person. I mean, he's very giving. He's very generous. And with, with the steroids thing, that came up. As a matter of fact, Bartolo, the way that the book process worked for me was I basically just interviewed him over the course of about 12 or 14 hours, something like that across, I think, about seven different days, seven different sessions. 
when I was speaking to him, I actually just was looking at his postseason record. And I noticed that he'd pitched one year with the A's in the postseason. And for some reason, I don't know, I just, I'm a big baseball fan. I guess I just happen to remember. I remembered that the A's were in the postseason both years that Bartolo was with the team. And for some reason, I forgot that he was not eligible for the postseason because of the PEDs thing. So I said, Bartolo, how come you didn't pitch that first year? They were they made the, the postseason. And why, why don't you pitch? He goes, oh, and he's like, because I had that little uh, problem. <laughs> I was like, what problem? He took steroids. I was like, oh, that's like, all right. Yeah, that's right. So I kind of forgot about it. And I was like, well, he remind, or at least he reminded me. And I was like, do you want to talk about that? He's like, yeah. So we talked about it. And I asked him and I listen, I'm born and raised in New York. I, I think I have a pretty good BS meter. I asked him point blank. I said it was a one-time thing. And he went, yeah, for sure. Like, and the way he responded, like you could tell, like he like coiled at the thought of even like doing it a second time for a couple of reasons. One, he was just insanely embarrassed. You know, he, he discusses the very difficult phone call that he made to his father to where his father was just basically speechless. He was incredibly disappointed in Bartolo. And Bartolo was incredibly disappointed in himself. But he also told me that when he, after he tested positive, he was tested by Major League Baseball constantly. He said, so he said to me, he said, once they test you once and, you, and, you're, and you, you're found positive once, they test you all the time. So I really believe him when he said it was just a, just a one-time thing. You know, what I found so, so great about it, it, general managers kept, even though they wouldn't resign him, they kept, kept on uh, saying, you know, to other general managers, you should sign Bartolo. That, that's a great testament to him. I think that's why he ended up with the Mets for you know, those years, 14 to 16. Well, again, so, you, yeah, I, I sort of touched on this with uh, the Yankees. He, he, I asked him specifically if it was Brian Cashman that did this. He said he was not certain that it was Brian Cashman, but he did say that somebody in the Yankees front office called Billy Bean, the, the general manager of the Oakland Athletics, of course. And this is, again, after Bartolo was only back in the majors for one year. He had a good year. But someone from the Yankees called Billy Bean and said, we don't have a spot for Bartolo on our roster this year, but if you, but I, you, know, you, you guys need somebody, we would, we would recommend Bartolo. Two years later, Billy Bean pays that forward. He calls Sandy Alderson, the Mets, who they have a very good relationship with. They go back literally decades. And Billy Bean said, we don't have a spot for Bartolo next year. You, you, should, you should take him. He'll be a great mentor to your young players. So again, just like I said, tight knit kind of fraternity in baseball. But these are human beings too, you know. And and Bartolo, I think he gave a lot, and as you can see, he he got a lot back. Was his uh, biggest moment in New York that home run in San Diego? That was the biggest. He calls that the biggest moment of his career. Really, even better than the uh, Cy Young Award, huh? Yeah, or I guess, or I, I mean, he he said it was the most the most memorable moment, the single most memorable. Right, right a single moment in time. Yeah. yeah. And he knew it was so out. My, he knew that was out. He, in the book, he said that as soon as that ball hit the wood of the bat, he knew that was gone. He said the bat didn't vibrate. So that's right. how he knew. <laughs> great little, great little detail. So, Michael, is t- remove yourself, maybe you can't, but remove yourself from having spent all the time with him. He has 246 wins, Cy Young Award. Oh, oh, oh. I know where this is going. Go ahead. No, no one's asking me this point blank yet. I'm, I'm afraid, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm asking. That's why we're baseball and BBQ. Tough questions. <laughs> Is he a Hall of Famer? 
I, I don't think so. I think that he's one of those guys that is very close. First of all, let me say that this takes nothing at all away from as far as absolutely. You know, I mean, but he had an amazing career. And I think that if maybe if he stayed healthy and, uh, you know, uh, across a couple more, not even maybe, certainly, um, because he essentially lost three seasons to, to injury. I mean, he pitched through two of them but not often and not well. Right. And then he was gone for one completely. So if you throw him another 45 wins, now we're talking 290 wins. Maybe he has you know, lower ERAs those years, so his ERA is under four. And maybe he's more you know, in like Jack Morris-type territory where he would get in. But as it stands now, I believe his ERA is 4.06 or 4.08, something like that. He's got the 237 wins, I want to say. 248, something like that, does not have 3,000 strikeouts. So, you know, look, he's close, and there are guys that they say that he is similar to Jack Morris in terms of, I guess, war or something like that. He's similar to Jim Bunning. I I also want to say not only does this take away from Bartolo's career because, you know, this me, just one individual saying he's not a Hall of Famer, but also on top of that, honestly, like just me personally, I have very high standards. I mean, there are guys mm-hmm. who into the Hall of Fame all the, all the time that that I don't think should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, right. And I'll name names if you want me to. But you know, but this idea, or or I'll even just volunteer. I mean, this idea like that. Oh, like like Kurt Kurt Schilling. I mean, I don't I don't think that guy's a Hall of Famer. I mean, if you really look at his numbers, you know, I don't see too much black ink out of him and uh he had a very nice career he had a great career but hall of famer i mean tom Seaver is a hall of famer bob gibson is a hall of famer right Koufax is a hall of famer clayton kershaw is a hall of famer right i don't think you know bartolo ever you know for a brief time bartolo ascended to that level but i think you have to be at that level for a good eight to ten to twelve years the hall of famer so that that's that's always how I looked at Hall of Famers. And uh, I, I think if you have to have a conversation, to me, the answer is no. He's, he's very proud of the fact that his 247 wins is the most by a Latino pitcher. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a true statement, right? That, that's the most? Yes. A Latin-born pitcher, yes. He passed, Dennis, Latin-born pitcher. He passed Dennis Martinez, who had the uh, record before him. Oh, I thought it was Juan Marichal, but Dennis Martinez is another fine pitcher as well, too. <laughs> I believe Marischal is third on the list, I'm going to say, but Marischal does have the most innings pitched, and Bartolo wants to, uh, wants to come back. He wants to break that record, too. And in the papers here in New York, it said he wanted, if he'd come back, he'd like to be with the Mets. Well, I'm sure he'd go anywhere, but was that his favorite team they, they played for, being the Mets, being that they went to the World Series the year he was, he was here, a couple of years he was here, and hitting the home run, and, and just getting the nickname Big Sexy. Well, even before, you know, his career was out, you know, he was with the Mets for two years. He signed a two-year contract and then he was the free agent and the Oakland A's actually wanted him back. And this is said in the book that the A's offered him more money than the Mets did, but he had already bought this house in New Jersey where he still resides part-time and he stayed with the Mets because the Mets did offer him a contract and he said the Mets, it felt like home. It felt like home being with the Mets. So, and then he spent time with three other organizations. Now he's been out of baseball for uh, one full year, going on two years now. And he still loves the franchise. He still, he still you know, loves the Mets and would love to be back with the team. 
Well, you know, we, we, we met fans, loved him too. Love, love watching him bad, watching him pitch. I mean, he, he, he had over 40 wins with the Mets in three years. That's not too yeah. shabby. No. Not too shabby. <laughs> Good picture. The name of the book is Big Sexy, Bartol Clone Story, uh, written by Bartol and Michael Stahl. It's a very great book. Uh, Michael, could you tell us where we can get, that people can pick up the book? Is there a website you have or uh, where can they get the book? Anywhere. Just Google it. Big Sexy Bartolo, <laughs> Big Sexy Bartolo Colon in his own words. Just Google it. You can get it anywhere you, you find books. And we talked about a lot of different, uh, a lot of different things, a lot of different details in the book. There is so much more that we... Uh, oh, so much. Yeah. We, we haven't even scraped the yeah. surface. And it's a fun book. Definitely a fun you know, book. It's, it really is. It's a fun book. There's a lot of great stories in there. Manny Ramirez is quoted in the book. And like Omar Vizquel's yeah. put in the book. Yeah. Uh, Melvin. Yeah, it's really a, a really fun book, like you said. A really fun book to, to read. That's 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 what we were going for from day one. A fun book that that really is all we wanted to accomplish. Yeah, well, you have to. His name his name is Big Sexy. I mean, exactly. you can't exactly. It's not going to be a. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's serious as far as the stories. They're all true and everything. But come on, you can't have a book about Big Sexy and not have it be fun. How'd you guys like the donkey story? Oh, yeah, that was <laughs> well. <laughs> Yeah, it was, but I don't want to ruin it, but it was sad. We, we got a donkey story in it, people. Come on, buy the thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, how many? <laughs> Poncho the donkey. Right. Poncho was a good donkey. Yes. It was. <laughs> and how many people have pet donkeys? I mean, that was just, it's, I, I had forgotten about that. It's true. Every, there's a lot of stuff in that book. And the illustrations also, I'm, I'm looking through it now. The illustrations are, big and fun and, and then you bring the smile to your face yeah yeah again that's what we we're going for megan ross did the illustrations and yeah the, the the company did a great job laying the book out i love it and people are really responding to if nothing else the layout of the book maybe maybe the words are terrible uh, that's fine but the uh but but I, if nothing else the layout i know is excellent yeah, you even got Darren Meehan to give him a story. You know, if anybody doesn't know, Darren Meehan is the head of the seven line, and they go on trips uh, to stadiums right. and, and also plus City Field. And they were actually at the home uh, the game in San Diego when Bartel hit the home run, and it was, it was a really great moment. Yeah. Oh, and there's a great Darren Meehan. He gives a great story too, and I'm not ruining it. It's just for that alone about the home run and some guy he met in the bar. And that's, that's a great story too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, again, chock full of that. There's a great Mariano Rivera story that we didn't talk about that I love. You know, that was a huge highlight for me and, you know, amazing insight and, and quotes from his family and friends to where again, yeah, I think you really get to know Bartolo the person, you know, in all of his layers and, and intricacies. Well, Michael, we, we really appreciate the time uh, that you've given us. Thank you. Good good luck with the book. We really appreciate your time, and, uh, you know, take care. Thank you so much. Same to you guys. Be Thank safe. you, Michael. Wow, that was great. Thank you, Michael. And the book is fantastic. Thank you, Ed Randolph. Your books are fantastic. Jeff, thank you. You're fantastic. <laughs> and so are you, Len. Everybody's fantastic. Go out and get some barbecue this weekend, people. Barbecue, watch some baseball. Baseball's back. Baseball's back. back. 60 game season. Let's see what happens. 
It's a sprint. It's no longer a marathon. It's a sprint. That's right. And we are very excited to have you listening. We look forward to hearing from you and come back for episode number 67. See you soon.